Welcome to the Calvary Limerick Podcast, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Cowper. We're a church that seeks to live together before the face of God. We hope today's message blesses you. So the economy was in shatters. The government had betrayed its people and sold them out, getting them bad deals on the international stage, resulting in less jobs, more hardship, people being poorer, and just general feelings of hopelessness. Added to this was the immigrants. Non-nationals, people who weren't from the country had come in and taken all the available jobs, and not even just the kind of lower paid jobs, but there were many educated people taking the better jobs as well. And the people were despairing, their pockets were hurt, and there was anger at the current form of government. Imagine if you were politically minded in that situation, what would you do? How would you feel? I bet you'd be angry, right? I bet you'd look at your economy and your government and you'd see better ways of doing things. <clears throat> Hope for a hopeless nation, desire for a brighter tomorrow. And even if you aren't politically minded, you might be looking and theorizing on better ways to run the country. We aren't too long out of a recession in Ireland, one that hit the whole world, hit us badly, and then seems to have hit Greece the hardest. You might remember some of what happened here over the past 10 or 11 years medical cuts, increases in the cost of education, benefit cuts, road schemes just abandoned, buildings being constructed just abandoned, childcare and child benefit changes, reductions in payments for unemployed people, more unemployment, the introduction of the universal social charge, increases in taxes, that property tax that came in, and then Irish water. <laughs> I think the reaction to Irish water across the rest of the world, they were like, we pay for water. Why are the Irish so upset about it? But that was our, our breaking point. There was no more after that. The government had to change. <laughs> but now imagine what happened in Ireland and make it much worse. Make it so there was no social welfare payments, no benefits, nothing coming in. If you didn't have a job, you had no money coming in. You had no food on your table. You'd want to see change. You'd probably vote for the party calling for change, calling for jobs, calling for government reform, right? Maybe you'd even join that party. I see a few nods. If you said yes, congratulations, you just joined or voted for the Nazi party. The situation we're talking about is late 1920s in Germany. The German government surrendered that ended World War I, and then they had to pay reparations to the winning nations. That kind of rhymes, that's cool. This meant more money was going out than could possibly be coming in. The atmosphere of the nation was bad. People were angry and people wanted to see change. They allowed their anger to manifest in ways that both created the Nazi party in Germany and then gave rise to the Nazi party in Germany. And I think we're sort of, this is kind of relevant because we're seeing similar things happening with the election of certain people who will not be named. <laughs> Anger and fear led to the election of the most dangerous party that was ever elected. And anger is where James is going to turn next. He's thinking about something broader, but he focuses first on speaking and on anger. And then having spoken of temptation previously, he turns to another way that people fall into sin, and that's anger. And he uses it to launch into talking about how we act and how we speak to one another. If you remember, we said ages ago, that James chapter one, verse four is like the key verse, the theme verse of the book. So I'll just read. 
that says, let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. James's goal, what James is encouraging us to do, is to move towards maturity in our faith. And he has another way for us to do so in these verses that we're going to look at. So I'll just read James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Throughout history, certain versions of Christianity, maybe that should be Christianity in inverted comments, have used the book of James to make unbiblical points, especially relating to righteousness coming from works, which is something that we'll be talking about in chapter two of this book, maybe next year. <laughs> so I want there to be no doubt that the book of James is only in contradiction with teachings of the grace of God if you bend and shape it to be in contradiction with the teachings of the rest of the Bible. One of the first things James says here in verse 19 is my dear brothers and sisters, or beloved brothers and sisters. He's a Christian and he's addressing Christians. This is not some Jewish rabbi addressing the church from outside the church. This is a man moved by the love of his God, his savior, and the love of his brothers and sisters in the church. And he writes them a pastoral letter in hopes that they, that it will help Christians come to maturity in their faith. Because the book is so full of imperatives, which are things that we're kind of expected to do, James is sometimes seen as the hard taskmaster of the New Testament writers possibly only being surpassed by Jesus himself when you think about the Sermon on the Mount. But this isn't the case. James isn't motivated by legalism. He's not motivated by anger or harshness. He's motivated by love. He loves the Christians that he's writing to, that God has made him a shepherd of. And he sees these things in their lives, abuses of the freedoms that are ours in Christ by grace, and he addresses those things because of that love. So I'm aware that I can be a tough taskmaster when it comes to sanctification or our becoming more like Christ. I'm aware of my own tendencies of being hard and legalistic on people, especially going through a book of commands. When I was the president of the Christian Union at UCC, my friends in the committee had a phrase they liked to tie to me. The phrase was, this is Sparta. I don't know if you've seen the movie 300 and I don't know if I'd recommend you do. Um, but in it, the Persian Empire under Xerxes I, who was married to Esther in the Bible, um, are invading southern Greece, and that was called Sparta at the time. Before the invasion, Leonidas, I think that's his name, the king, he sent an ambassador um, from Persia who basically tells them to surrender, you know, and they won't all be wiped out. And he refuses the offer and says that the Spartans are going to stand against this massive, massive Persian army. That Their arrows blocked out the sun, I think, was one of the things that you, they used to say about them. And so the, the ambassador says, this is madness, uh, before Leonidas corrects him and says, this is Sparta. 
So to say, say this is Sparta was used when I was taking over or putting my foot down um, and being bossy. <laughs> All that to say, I'm aware of my own tendency to forget about grace and to attempt to relate to God on a legal basis in my own life and a tendency to do the same with those around me. So as we're going through the book of this book of imperatives, I want us to be very aware that the love James has in writing to those he's writing to, and the grace of God which empowers us to be able to obey the commands of God. And I want to say with James, beloved brothers and sisters, and not this is Sparta. The first of James's three imperatives in verse 19 is about being quick to hear. I'm sure you've heard it said <coughs> that God gave us two ears and only one mouth, so he must have meant for us to listen twice as much as we're to talk. That's a pretty good rule of thumb. We live in a culture that's obsessed with talking. But more than that, we're living in a culture that's obsessed with talking about ourselves. The entire purpose of social media, besides making Mark Zuckerberg money, is to allow us to have a platform to talk about ourselves. Some of the most popular television shows today are reality TV shows in which real people are thrown into various unreal situations and we get to watch them be themselves and try to navigate those circumstances. And the majority of the most famous YouTubers are people who video their day-to-day -day lives and talk about themselves and then are watched by millions. And as the noise around us increases, not only does silence decrease, but our ability to listen goes with it. If you don't believe me yet, that hearing God is important and under-practiced and undervalued in our world, even among Christians, See what the Bible says. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. In John 10, 27 and 28. And he said, whoever is of God, hears the words of God. In John 8, 47. And one of the keys to Christian living we know is faith. But how does faith come to us? Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In fact, that verse is one of the basis for doing sermons like this. We believe the word of God, and we believe faith comes by hearing the word of God being read and being taught. And there's so many more verses from Proverbs, a lot about listening to wisdom in the early chapters, and that wisdom comes from God through Solomon. And the Psalms tell us of the benefits of listening to God and acknowledging him and having him being our light and our guide. And we could say much more about listening to God, but I want to stop and ask, do you listen for God's voice in your life? Are you aware of him as you read the Bible, as you pray, as you go about your day, as you see the beauty of creation, as you, and as you encounter the wonders of people who are made in his image? I bet the answer to that, if we're being honest, is sometimes. We could all be quicker to hear God. Are our times of Bible reading an attempt to get through that day's passage or a time with our Savior? Are our prayers a conversation or a to-do list that we present to God? Are our minds too occupied to hear God as we walk or as we drive when we see the beauty that he has made? And are we too interested in talking about ourselves 
when we meet other people that we miss what God might want to say to us through them. Then what does the Bible say about hearing others, being quick to listen to other people? Proverbs 18.13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Proverbs also says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent, and whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who is a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Just reading through that list of words and listening in silence, we have to wonder what Solomon would make of our culture today, of our YouTube and social media and the constant battle we're all engaged in for the attention of other people. It would probably cause him to despair and to lose hope for humanity. Listening to people is a practice we have lost, and it's very sad to see. But on the bright side, Christian, here's a place you can truly make a difference. There are many people out there in our community that have no one who listens to them. No one who cares enough to take an hour, have a cup of coffee, and listen to the pain, hurts, joys, sorrows, hopes, dreams, battles, victories, and spiritual journeys of others. We're called to be different, so here's a place we can be different. We can be listeners. There's a problem with listening to others, of course, and that's because it has become so rare that if you decide to listen to someone, you're likely going to be the only person that listens to them in that way. You're kind of opening a proverbial can of worms. You need to make sure that you're not trying to be their Messiah, trying to save them, because that's Jesus' job. As you listen, the best thing you can do for a person is to point, point them to Christ and bring them before him in prayer. And then second, you're gonna to need to set boundaries. A person whom you start listening to can become addicted to your ears, so to speak, and then think that they can call on you any hour of the day. So do your best to love them, but don't exhaust yourself in doing so. Jesus took off in boats when he needed time, where the disciples needed time away from people. So maybe after you have coffee, make an appointment to do it again soon. Then if they're trying to get in touch with you at inconvenient times, you can say, this will be better discussed in person. Let's wait until our next time we're having coffee, which I know is totally easier to say than to do. We'll talk about uh, hearing and doing next time. <laughs> Despite the pitfalls in listening to others, being quick to hear is one of the greatest opportunities we have in this day and age to help other people and to point them to Christ. The second of James's imperatives in verse 19 is to be slow to speak. We've looked at this in some of the verses of Proverbs, but I want to move back to what James is getting at specifically again because we've been looking at like quick to listen and slow to speak more generally than James is using it here. This saying that he's using comes from the Old Testament. It's a shortened form of Ecclesiastes chapter five, verses one and two, and a summary of some of those ideas that we've looked at through Proverbs and more. James here is specifically thinking about anger and how we use our tongue. This is something that he'll come back to a number of times throughout the letter. It's clearly been a problem in the day that people were using their tongues to be angry, to hurt one another, and to show up the sinfulness that was still rampant in their hearts. And to be honest, 
I'm reading the text. There's little indication again, like I said last time, with Paul, you know exactly where he's going. Almost every thought begins with therefore, whereas James seems to just move through things. But our response that we can often have to things we see as bad happening in our lives, we talked about trials and temptations, is anger. And so putting anger into action or into hurtful words can be a temptation we face. So I'm totally speculating, but maybe that's why James has gone on to speak about being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. And so the third imperative about being slow to anger. I guess first we should say that anger is not always sinful. We're commanded in the Bible to be angry at sin. For example, Amos 5 verse 5 says, Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. We're called to hate evil and to establish justice. So you can get from that that we're called to be angry at sin, at evil, and injustice. This could be called a righteous indignation. And then as well in Ephesians 4.26, Paul gives the Christians some guidance on being angry. He says, be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. So James here is talking about a specific type of anger. If you follow his progression to the next verse, you can conclude that a, a lack of listening combined with a lack of restraint in speech leads to ill-tempered actions. That's how the ESV study Bible sometimes is this. Anger is wrong when we're using it for sinful means, like hurting another person, advancing some sinful policy, like in our opening story, joining the Nazi party, or being, by being angry, we can show a lack of trust in God. And that's basically what verse 20 is saying. The anger of man, when it isn't righteous indignation, doesn't produce the righteousness of God. So those of you who are moved to action on the economic and political situation in our opening illustration felt a righteous indignation, which would be right, but then put it into action by illustratively voting for the Nazi party, which of course doesn't lead to the righteousness of God. So in a lot of situations, we can feel anger and righteous indignation because of evil, sin, or injustice, and that's the right way to feel, the right way to see it, but when we act on it, we show a lack of trust in God, who is in control, and lead, it leads not to the righteousness we might want to see, but to more sin. And as well, I think there can be two meanings here. So the first, we act on our anger in a way that shows a lack of trust to God, and it leads to unrighteousness out there in the world. And the second meaning that it does not lead to the righteousness of God in us. If we're angry people, if we're people who are acting on our anger a lot, a lot, excuse me, controlled by our anger, we're not allowed, allowing ourselves to be made in the image of God's Son. We're not becoming more Christ-like. But part of the work that God is doing in us is for us to realize that being slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger, the opposite of what James says, is not compatible with the life he has called us to and the position that he has given us in Christ. It's called to be angry and not to sin, to trust him and to take matters into our own hands. That's what James is saying. And then if you look at verse 20, 21 with me, I'm gonna read it from the ESV. It says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness 
and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This putting away all filthiness is, has the idea of changing your dirty clothes. That's basically what God is asking us to do. We come to him in a way that even our best deeds are like filthy rags, according to Isaiah. We're in dirty clothes. The dirt is our sin. Instead of that, when we trust Christ as our savior, he gives us these new clothes. And the Bible calls them robes of righteousness. They are ours, but sometimes we walk in a way that doesn't fit our new position. We walk as if we're still wearing filthy rags. And the Bible calls us to take them off. But how? And the next phrase says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Humbly receiving and believing God's word. Faith and humility. That's the way we're to put these things off. The more I study and the more I understand the word of God and the things he's calling us to do, the more I see that beneath what could look like a list of do's and don'ts on the surface is really a call to trust God, to humbly have faith in him, to allow him to do the work he wants to do in our lives and to transform us by the renewing of our minds and the capturing of our hearts because of his love for us. Once again, we come to the conclusion that because of Christ, because of what he's done for us, all these imperatives come down to his grace. It's by grace we're saved. It's by grace that we can live every day. It's grace that sanctifies us. It's grace that transforms us. It's grace that empowers us to be the people God designed us to be. God is doing a work in your life and he asks you to humbly trust him in order for him to create a person, a new person, who is not only interested in talking about themselves, but is quick to hear and slow to speak and who is slow to anger but righteous in their indignation. Jesus is our ultimate example of this. It's the work of Jesus on the cross and in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit that allows these things to become a reality in our lives. Let's pray. But we just thank you for your finished work on the cross. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that we don't have to be buying indulgences. We don't have to be climbing up pro patrick on our hands and feet lord because those things are just filthy rags when we break them to you we thank you for the finished work of jesus and the grace that allows us to access not just salvation lord but the power to live a life that you have called us to live but i pray that we would see ourselves like you see us that we would see our identity as being in you and that we would see things like being too quick to talk and not listening and being too quick to anger and acting in anger in the wrong way as things that just aren't suitable, aren't compatible with the person that you've made us to be and the person you've called us to be, Lord. But I pray that we would trust you when we see things that we are angry about, that we would be listening for your voice, and that we would be moving when you call us to move and not before that and not doing things that end up putting people who shouldn't be in power in power or hurting other people or whatever it is, Lord. But I pray that you would give us opportunities to be people who listen this week, that we would have the chance to listen to somebody and then to be able to share with them after we've listened to them who you are and your goodness, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would just be with us this week and that by your grace, you would bring us to maturity in our faith in these areas.